0: I thought I knew the Ten Commandments. And then when somebody asked me, what are the ten? I only know the two. Don't steal. Don't murder. Then you're a good person. You don't realize there's eight other ones that you're probably guilty of. Most people are. Two, three, one, one. Go. Yeah, it's already been gone. Put the mic on his face How's it going, Mr. Eber? Mr. Eber,
1: yeah, Mr. Mr. Eber. How are hey, you?
0: Good, how are you doing, sir? Doing all right, yeah, very nice to have you on the show. Thank you for taking the time. Absolutely, happy to do it. Happy, I, had, I mean, sorry, I had to push you back an hour as uh, visiting with my daughter and uh, had to drive an, an hour that way and an hour back. So, I just wanted to give myself an extra little bit.
1: Sure, how you no doing? Problem. I'm good. Uh, my wife is at a uh, um uh, meeting, uh, uh, like, a, uh, it's like a church group that she goes to a couple times a month. She's, so the house will be mostly quiet except for the occasional cat.
0: Okay. I have two dogs. So if they make a rump, uh, ruckus, that's, uh, that's them just being rambunctious. Yeah. Well, very good. So tell me about this uh, Gifts for Glory podcast and what uh, motivated you to start that?
1: It was just uh, one of the big things that has been a part of my life since uh, really pursuing uh, pursuing God has been wanting to uh, use my platforms to just celebrate the different ways that God uses people and that uh, the different way that people can use their gifts, uh, whether it's acting, uh, doing comedy, writing, painting. Um, you know, just, a, just, a di- you know, there's a million different ways to use your gifts. And, you know, uh, that's what we want to do is just kind of show people that everyone has a gift and it's more and doing ministry and helping people is more than just Sunday mornings at church. It's, it's 24, uh, seven, or there's opportunities 24 uh, seven.
0: Yeah. And what, so what is the, what is the actual mission of the, the actual podcast? The goal of the podcast is that tick, to- Because I I listened to a couple of episodes, it seemed like it was mainly getting Christian. Well, I saw one episode where you got a Christian comedian on. Mm -hmm. um, And I'm sure, and I think you got a a couple of different other uh, Christian guests. So is it like guest
1: oriented or is it uh, you? Okay. It's uh, guest oriented. Um, The uh, the tagline is uh, celebrating and promoting men and women who use their gifts for God's glory. Uh, okay. So we uh, find people that are uh, Christians who are uh, doing different things um, that uh, that serve God or help people or both and uh, hear their story and hear their testimony of why they do what they do. Okay. And uh, what, what was, what, I'm new to
0: Christianity. I just, uh, well, new to being a newborn Christian. I grew up Catholic and then I strayed yes. away from God and the faith and everything and believed in new age religion for a little while, you know, where everything is everything and we're all one and all is God and all that nonsense. And then, uh, I had an awakening, a big time awakening, uh, where where God basically said, Hey, you're going down the wrong path. And if you keep going down that path, this is what you're going to see. And he basically lifted the veil for me and I got to see which way I was going. And I was like, I don't want to go that way. No, right. I didn't realize. And uh, so I've turned back around and gone the other way. Uh, repented, you know, yeah. <laughs> repented everything that I was doing. And now yeah. you know every, you know and it's still a, it's still a struggle it, you sure. know to you know I'm, it's still a struggle not to sin in the things that you were so used to sinning on every day. So it's still a struggle, but I know I'm going in the correct direction now. And that was sure. one that was misguided and misdirected. When you don't have a direction, the enemy is going to grab you and say, please come this way. This is a good way for you to go. And unbeknownst to you, you're going down a path of... Uh, a demonic uh uh influence yes. you know that you don't think are demonic at the time until the veil is unveiled exactly. uh, so that you know sorry sorry to rant there but the, no, the I yeah the, I appreciate my, that. thank you uh the the question i wanted to ask you is what have you always been in christianity ever since like a little kid or did you have a moment or what was your um uh, your your story i guess you know to yeah. christianity
1: um, in my house, we were kind of Christians and name only. We didn't really understand what it was to repent or pursue uh, that relationship. It was more about um, just being good people. And you know, as long as we didn't kill anybody, you know, we were OK. Yeah, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I thought the same thing. I thought, yeah. you know, I thought I knew the Ten Commandments. And then when somebody asked me, what are the Ten? I only know the two. Don't steal. Right. Don't murder then you're a good person. You don't realize there's eight other ones that you're probably guilty of. Most people are, yeah. a lot.
1: And so uh, it, there really wasn't a, a lot of practicing or praying or anything in that like that. Every once in a while, we might say a prayer at like Christmas or Easter meals uh, because that was the thing to do. It, sure. It's it's Easter, you know. Yeah. Um, then in sixth grade, I went to a, a summer camp and there is when i uh, officially uh, accepted jesus i said a uh, prayer on a thursday night walking up the hill by myself and uh, you know that was the moment i was saved but the relationship with with jesus never really took hold uh, for many years i walked away and i uh, found myself in a deep depression for many years and i uh, wrestled with the thought of suicide for you know for 16 17 years um but I could always find a justification to not do it because I added value to the world by making people laugh. If I can make somebody laugh, then it wasn't, then I was offering something to the world. And also, you know, I was hiding how I felt at the same time. Yeah. Um, so I had the, you know, this, I guess you could say the seeds were planted when I was young, you know, with those church camps over summer, but they were never really, I was never discipled has never shown that, you know, being a Christian is more than just going to church occasionally. It's, you know, making better choices. It's, uh, looking at women differently. It's, you know, realizing that, um, if I stare and I think thoughts, you know, I have sinned against her and her future husband or her current husband. And I've, you know, corrupted my mind. And, and, you know, these are just different lessons that, you know, in high school, I didn't know, but, once i uh, pursued the lord for uh you know seriously starting in 2013 um he you know he was showing me all these different things that um that i just didn't understand um and uh he showed me that doing comedy was what i was supposed to do he just changed the the reason why uh, it it went from being a, a defense mechanism and like this weird justification thing of you know kind of a workspace mentality to yeah, still make people laugh, but don't do it as a way to hide yourself. But do it as a way to reveal who God is, because um, you know God is a loving Father that takes joy in His children. So of course He's going to give us the gift of laughter to to ease some of the pain and the struggle that we go through in in, in this life. So um, I mean, it's kind of I kind of grew up Christian, but not really deep in the faith. It wasn't until God really delivered me from those, from that depression and those suicidal thoughts in 2013. That it really became a real relationship.
0: So 2013 is when you got saved. Saved, right? Me, right? Because I mean, the same as me, I always believed in Jesus. I did not believe that He was real. I just wasn't following the faith or in His. Uh, One of the things that helps me is, uh, which, which somebody told me, like, if, if you think that God would be embarrassed that you're thinking that or doing that, then it's a sin. And then I was like, oh, well that, that makes sense. You know, like, because like, if, you know, if you do things and you're like, oh, I can do this because nobody's watching. Right. That's usually when you commit the majority of your sins is you do it in secret, you know, uh, if you can see that nothing is in secret, you're always being watched. You're always being monitored. You're always being, uh, I don't want to say judged, but yeah, judged, you know, based on your character and, and your walk of life. So, um, uh, uh, yeah, that uh, I, I ramble and I talk about this because I'm so new at Christianity sure. right now because I just got saved last year, uh, 2000, uh, 2020 July 2020 I know the exact wow. date July 1st 2020 nice. and I and and I didn't realize I had never even read the bible like not even any verses my mom had taught me some stuff and uh and sorry, I'm rambling again because I, no. you know, because I see you as some like my a major like you're a, like a teacher to me as far as because you have been in the faith longer, and I just have so many questions about it still because I'm so brand new into it, you know, and uh, so I'm just ex- excited about it. So in 2013, comedy was the thing that uh, you think or you believe God. Brought you on this earth for. And one of my questions was. uh, Most comedians. It feels like to me. Because I do watch a lot of comedy. That the majority. Well. The majority of the main ones. The main comedians. The the famous ones. uh, Most of them seem like they are. Atheists. Or do not necessarily believe in God. Bill Maher being one of those. Number one ones. You know. but, But a bunch of them. Joe Rogan, I mean, mm-hmm. the, the list goes on and on. Bill Burr, I mean, you, you just, it, the list goes on and on. Uh, George Carlin, I yeah. mean, big time, a, you know, does not believe in God. Why do you think that that is, that comedians, like, tend to err towards away from the faith?
1: I think because of the nature of comedy where it, it in many ways, comedy is... A way to point out what's wrong, in a way that's disarming. Like some of the funniest things, especially like in the old Saturday uh, Saturday Night Live skits, they were pointing out what was wrong with like the president or with like society, but we're, they were doing it in a way that was so disarming, but it still made you think. Uh, that's a lot of uh, George Carlin's humor towards the end. So when you're immersed in a cult in a lifestyle that's looking at what's wrong with society or wrong with the world. I think that it becomes this mounting snowball of like here's all this evidence that something's wrong. So if there's this much wrong, then how can there be a God that allows it? Um, so I think that that might play into it, and I also think that entertainment in general, um, whether it's acting or, or music or or, uh, or comedy, um, it, it's a culture of. Uh, self-promotion whereas Christianity in many ways is the antithesis of self-promotion it teaches us to uh, like Paul talks about less of me and more of you referring to Jesus but to be like a world famous comedian or actor or singer there's a lot of self that has to happen and when you put yourself on the on the throne in your mind and in your heart you kind of crowd out God's rightful place so I think that it's not necessarily unique to comedy that the big, the big ones that we think about are um, are not Christian, are not following God closely. I think it's just the entertainment industry in general. is yeah. that there, and there's also a lot of peer pressure because when you get into these circles where there's famous people and people with money and influence, and if they say something or believe a certain way, even if you came to Hollywood or if you came to Los Angeles or wherever, with you know with a relationship with Jesus, you might feel intimidated when you get around these other people, and you might stifle that to the point that you kind of forget that relationship. Yeah, so I, I think that, that. What's
0: that? I I agree with that wholeheartedly because when I came to the faith just recently i was i wanted to scream it from the rooftops that hey i'm a christian you guys are not going to believe this this is so amazing this is all you have to do is this and you won't imagine the amount of peace that will come within you just Mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, amazing yeah people looked at me like i was crazy you know like people thought of me as like now they're like oh you're one of those and i was like no i'm not one of those like we are that like oh you just have to see it you know and uh So, yeah, I could see that in comedy, especially, you know, going in there as a Christian. There's a show on HBO uh, that came on, and it was about... a uh, He wasn't a a Christian, necessarily, but he was a clean comedian. Uh, You know what I'm talking about? He's really, really tall. Oh, man, he had a show on HBO. It was like a series about having comedians on... Did you ever watch that one? I can't uh I can't think of the name and I don't want to mess can't up either. you know the, the flow of the podcast with trying to come up with the name, but I, I, I kind of think the guy's name is Dave. But um Brian Regan is one that comes to mind as yeah. like he might not necessarily be Christian, but he is about the cleanest of comedians that is out there. How do you balance that? as a christian comedian not you know not necessarily not being dirty but like also not uh, offending God with a joke or does God even get offended with jokes you know as as long as you don't you as long as you don't use you know the the sacred words you're not
1: supposed to use right you know I think that uh number one god, he is full of grace, and he knows our heart. So uh, with me, uh, I do improv primarily where it's uh, off the cuff. It's uh, it's improvised, you know, it just happens. And there are, you know, there's a, a moment or two where you might say something that you kind of wish you hadn't. Uh, in my improv group, we're, we're all Christian. So we've never had that moment where we've cursed on stage. We've never really uh, done anything with any kind of innuendo or, or sexual content. But there are things that are just awkward or maybe, you know, reference something that that might be um, uncomfortable. Um, And for God, he doesn't take offense. He's, you know, if if our heart is pure, he knows that and he's willing to to easily forgive and build you back up. Uh, So it's not to say that I'm not worried about offending God. It's that. I know that he understands my heart and he's not going to condemn me for making a mistake, even if I curse on stage. And, and there was a time that uh, that we dropped the laptop at church <laughs> and my wife and I teach uh, children's church, the laptop fell off the stand and I said the S word right in front of the kids.
0: <laughs>
1: it, it, it was embarrassing. I was appalled at myself. I was like, how could I say that? But it, it was a moment. It was a failure. And, Frankly, let's be honest, church parents still curse. So it wasn't a shock, but, you know, I, I apologize. And I said, Hey, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that word. So basically mistakes will happen. And it's all about, about your heart. God is not going to be offended for your mistake. If you own it, if you're willing to move on. Uh, So there's no condemnation. Uh, As far as offending people, there are those that look to be offended. They will find any reason to be offended because they—that's—they just want to clutch their pearls and look like they're bet they're important.
0: Yeah, that's called virtue signaling,
1: right? Yes, yeah. yeah. It's you know it's like taking a little Batman signal, like virtue. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a funny skit. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> with kid. your, the, I, I I foresee that with your masks, you yes. know, with the COVID masks. Virtue, I'm being a good human.
1: (laughs) The the mask and the shield. (laughs) Now I'm a better human.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that one's (laughs) an even better human being. You know, the more layers you have on, the better human
1: being you are.
0: (laughs) Um, And then the eight
1: band aids for each booster shot.
0: You get like like a patch, right? You get you know it's like a badge of honor, like in the army, where you have like three purple hearts, and they're just red, you know, X's all the way down. Yeah, it's 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 becoming that ridiculous. Uh, we could go there. I don't want to go there just yet, but we're. It seems like eventually it's going to get there. Uh, my question to you was going to be like, st- have you ever thought about doing stand up versus improv, or have you ever? I, I was looking for some stuff. For you on stand-up and I didn't find any, but maybe you just
1: don't haven't uploaded anything. I've scrubbed the internet of all my stand-up because it's not very good yet. Okay, um, <laughs> oh come on. Um my my brain works off the cuff in the moment, working off the energy of the room. A lot of uh, my comedy and, and improv training actually came from eight years as a pro wrestler. Um, which is oh What was your pro wrestler? What was your name? Who are you? I was uh, Big Boy Buddy Love, the East Coast <laughs> largest athlete. <laughs> East Coast largest athlete? Yeah. Uh, how, t- how tall are you? I'm uh, about 6'2", and at the time I was wrestling, I was a little bit over 500.
0: Oh, man, 500 pounds? Yeah. Ah, huh.
1: well, you look good. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the thing was, uh, the Big Show was really, you know, kind of in his peak with uh, WWE at the time. So he was the world's largest athlete. So I was like, oh, I'm going to see a little bit of that, and I'll be the East Coast largest athlete since I'm wrestling in Virginia, West Virginia, and, and, and Tennessee. So, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, who did, who who who's uh, named some famous wrestlers
1: you've wrestled against? Any anybody uh, come out uh, with them? Uh, Shane Douglas. No. I've been in the ring uh, with um, David Flair, which not as big a name as his dad, Rick, but, you know, in the lineage. In the lineage. Um, Let's see. Uh, I've done shows with Rick Steiner, Disco Inferno, Kevin Nash. Uh, I've been on shows with Mick Foley. Uh, But as far as like people I've been in the ring with, um, I don't remember, I don't know how much you know, but there was a wrestler, a female wrestler by the name of ODB that was on TNA. Uh, okay. I lost them. I lost a match to her once. Uh, did you? Well, yeah. well,
0: that's good scripted, story, right? Yeah. yeah. But, uh, I grew up watching wrestling, uh, and I was a WWF fan yeah. before the World Wildlife Organization took that name away, and it had to right. change into WWE. But I was a huge fan of The Ultimate Warrior. Was my guy? Yeah. Like that was my guy. And then there was another, uh, uh, spin-off one with, uh, and there was a guy named sting. Remember that guy? Oh yeah. Sting the stinger. Yeah. And, and it was those two guys. And I don't know what it was because it was just maybe just the face paint right around the eyes, which both guys yeah. did in a, in a variety of ways. And they look, you know, they just seemed like the coolest guys, but, uh, that's when, when I got into it. And, uh, but that's, that's awesome, man. So how was it? I mean, it's it's fake, but it's real also, right? I mean, it's yeah, very it, real, it, the things that you're doing out there.
1: Yeah, it's choreographed. Uh, it's kind of like you go to a wrestling match. People call it fake. And that's kind of an insult. That's kind of like going to yeah, the theater. Sorry. I didn't mean to uh, say it, that. It's okay. I, I won't hit you with a chair this time. <laughs> thank God this is, uh, thank the <laughs> Lord this is on Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's like, you don't go to, you don't go to see Spider-Man, no way home. And you think, Oh, that's fake. You go for the entertainment. Sorry. You know, Tom Holland is not literally swinging from buildings, but he's telling a story with his body. And that's what we do in the wrestling ring. There are no CGI. Uh, the falling down the, the hits in many ways are, are real. You can't fake those, especially if you have audience right on top of you. Um, so it was a lot of fun just telling stories. You go out there, you feed off of your ring partner, who's either your opponent or your tag partner, uh, and you feed off the audience. If the audience is into it, you kind of stretch out the match. You make it go a little bit longer. You give them what what they're looking for. And if they're not buying it, you, whatever you're doing in the ring, you get out quickly so that the next match can can kind of save the show. Because if they if you lose an entire audience with one match, You ruin everybody else's night, Um, which is which is a a philosophy of improv. If if they're not buying the scene that you're in, if they're not buying the game that you're playing, get out quickly and save the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I
0: was gonna say. It feels like it's a lot like just like improv, right? Yeah. Yeah. Man, so any thoughts about getting back into it, or is those days behind you?
1: That that's a very god thing because every time I think about it something happens and I tweak my knee and it's like, God, it's like when the angel uh, uh hit, hit Jacob in, in the, in the hip, when they wrestled, I don't know if you've gotten to Genesis. I, ha- I haven't. Well, uh, yeah. Genesis is the first
0: one, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> but I do bounce around because uh I have a specific way that I read the Bible sure. and it's based on my mom sending me uh Bible verses. And I read that particular uh not the whole chapter, but that particular verse, the whole verse, right? Uh, so that's how I read it. But uh, no, I don't know that story. So please continue.
1: Sure. Uh, so there's uh, this guy, his name's Jacob. He's um, uh, on his way back to meet his brother who uh, he had uh, he had done his brother wrong and he was afraid that his brother was going to come after him and kill him. Is but that Joseph? Still... Yeah, Joseph. Uh... Joseph was
0: the brother that got done wrong, right? Oh, no, uh, Esau. Oh, okay. Joseph so can...
1: was a different story. He was later. Okay. Uh, uh, I, I see. Yeah. yeah.
0: Joseph Either. in the
1: color dream coat. Yeah. It's interesting how
0: brothers just get just stabbed in the back in the Bible, like left and right.
1: No pun. In, no, I didn't mean that. as a joke. <laughs> and that's a cool thing about the Bible, though, is we have all these heroes of the Bible, and they are severely flawed, broken people. Whereas if if the Bible was fake, you'd think that they would try to, you know, clean it up a little bit. You know, you wouldn't have all these fallen heroes. You'd have, you know, Peter wouldn't deny Jesus or, you know, uh, Jacob wouldn't have uh, sold out his brother to steal his uh, birthrights. You know, these kind of things, you know, they wouldn't happen if the Bible was fake. But the Bible's like, hey, this is what happened. Yeah, David wouldn't have uh, slept with his, one
0: Mm -hmm. of his you know, best warriors, wives and had it almost, you know, had him murdered basically, Uh, you know? So like when I look at that I'm like, oh, that guy's great. And he committed this sin and God still forgave him. It gives me peace Mm -hmm. thinking like, okay, I know I've done very bad things, but I don't know if I've done something that bad necessarily. You know what I mean? And I'm not, and I'm not one to judge what's right. bad or worse than one other thing you know because i know there's there could be plenty of things that are bad that are worse than murder worse right. than murder and you think murder is the worst thing no there are plenty of other things that could be way worse than murder uh depending on you know uh, many different things so sorry getting off topic again
1: oh no worries uh so the the story of uh, jacob is he wrestles with an angel over you know throughout a night as he's you know as a, you know he's trying to fight for the blessing from the angel and at the end as the sun is rising uh the angel wretches Jacob's hip and he walks with a limp for the rest of his life and um but he still gets blessed by this angel and he's a, and he walks with the limp and meets his with his brother. And I think that the limp, and this is not necessarily biblically supported. It's just kind of my weird interpretation. I think God and the angel, you know, the angel that wrestled with, with uh, Jacob gave him that limp so that his brother would see him in a different light as somebody that was weakened and somebody that isn't coming to vanquish him.
0: That's it. Okay.
1: Kind of like, making him an underdog character so that there's a little bit more peace and grace there. but that, that's a different story. So anyway, so in that story, Jacob gets an injury to his hip to where he is not uh, you know he's not full strength. and um, so that's the kind of thing that I think God does to me every time I start really thinking about wrestling is he'll tweak my knee and like, hey, stop. you're 40 years old now, you've got a wife, you're trying to build a family. And you really do not look good in tights. <laughs> well, maybe he's ch- just trying to make sure that you don't
0: tempt some other lady out there and you don't make them stumble with your magnificent
1: looks in those tights. That could be uh, a thing. <laughs> the only ladies to go for me, they, they've got uh, Coke bottle glasses. <laughs> <laughs> it,
0: it doesn't matter. It's like if you're going to make one person stumble, that's why he doesn't want you to be out there. Though. So, uh, that, that very true. I do the same thing with soccer. I play soccer and just tear up my knees the same way. And then, uh, they're sore for a couple of days. And then I, you know, please Jesus. I'm like, I need my knees for work. I also work with kids, but in the physical fitness uh, industry. And, uh, so I need to be able to move around and, uh, he gives me back my knees, but then if I go play soccer again, you will hurt me for another couple of days. So, you know, I, I feel you. Well, so what was the name again of your guy?
1: <laughs> the East Coast. Uh, uh, Big boy Buddy Big, Love, the East Coast's largest athlete. Big boy Buddy Love, and that name was given to yeah, that name was given to me by uh, my uh, boss at a, a radio station uh, because I got into wrestling as a, a radio station DJ. They're doing a cross promotion and they thought, Hey, why don't we get one of the DJs out here? And, and um, all the full-time guys were like, "No, nah, I'm too cool for that. I said, sure, I'll do it. Cause I, I knew some of the names that were on the show and I thought it'd be kind of cool. The promoter saw me, you know, six foot two, 500 pounds. He's like, wow, that's not the DJ I expected. <laughs> and, uh, you know, some little, you know, Napoleon dynamite looking guy, because most, <laughs> most DJs are kind of, dorks right. they they go behind a mic because they're not you know good for tv okay but, uh, <laughs> i see <laughs> a little bit like me <laughs> yeah. well no i mean i I, I, could, I could see uh you know the nike uh you know you know you got, you got some guns there and
0: i don't have guns i don't have guns well i don't have guns. It, this is the camera i don't know i got a filter there's
1: a filter okay. on there
0: yeah
1: On this camera. but yeah I, I got in as a dj um So that that was also the reason why I didn't have boots, you know, like the professional boots or the gear is because, yeah, I was just a DJ. I was just a local celebrity. And uh, so, but it was a lot of fun just going out there telling a story, obviously, because I was uh, somewhat known for for being on radio. I was always uh, the baby face or the good guy. And uh, I really, I really enjoyed it. It was, it's a very physical form of improv. Uh, you out there with scenario. You feed off each other. You feed off the audience, and you tell the story. Uh, the story is good guy, bad guy, uh, and there's always a point of view. Good guy's always trying to win and and avenge something. The bad guy's always trying to find a way to get out, get off the hook easy.
0: Yeah, and, and do you still you still improv uh, today?
1: Yes, uh, improv. Uh, I I have a, a team that we do uh, clean comedy. We're all Christians and we do uh, uh, shows at churches, uh, fundraisers, um, different things like that. And, um, you know, I I'm on a team where it's just me and uh, six women. Um,
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, and, and I, I don't know why I laughed at that, by the way. I don't it, know. It That's that, it's not, uh, you know, it's, yeah, I guess it's just it a little bit continues. unusual. Yeah.
1: And my wife comes uh, to all the rehearsals and the shows to help and support, and also for that accountability because uh, these women are married, and when they travel, their husbands can't always come. So just for appearances, because people like to look for scandal. Sure. You know, my wife is there, and there's just that that protection and that honoring of of the marriages because people get dumb sometimes.
0: Uh, no, absolutely. And you're doing comedy and it's late at night and then you want to go get a drink, this and that. And the devil is always around prowling around. There's that one verse by uh, I forget the name of the verse, but it's something about the lion prowls around waiting for you to stumble. And then he's going to pounce on you and make you make a mistake. So, yep.
1: yeah, yeah.
0: And you have to protect yourself at all times. It's crazy,
1: you know, and it goes back to um, I don't know if you ever heard of the Billy Graham rule. Nope. Okay. So billgram world famous uh, evangelist that went around the world doing revivals. He had this role where he would never be alone with a woman uh, that was not his wife. It didn't matter if he was riding in a car, going out to dinner, even in an elevator, just because he wanted to honor the woman, protect her reputation, and also protect his reputation as a man of God. So I try to adhere to that role of, you know, just. Never being alone uh, with, with women that aren't my wife. Just again, it's, it's not because there's a threat like I'm a loose cannon that's going to go out and you know, commit adultery. But the Bible also teaches against the appearance of evil. Um, you know, protect yourself from appearing to be in sin because you you don't want to cause other people to stumble. Like, oh, look at Dave. He's hanging out with like four women. That's awesome. I can do that, too. I can be like I can be like Solomon and have 700 wives. That's awesome. No, you can't. That yeah. That's not the way God designed it. Yeah. Solomon did have 700 wives. Yeah. He, had a, he used uh, marriage as a way to create peace treaties with a lot of the uh, opposing kings. And he had wives and concubines. And, and it sounds like, well, that's kind of a cool thing, you know, is the variety. But every time you look, every story in the Bible where a man is married to more than one woman, like there's multiple wives, like even David, you know, he was a man after God's own heart. But even in his case, every case in the Bible that there is multiple wives, there is a lot of trouble for that person. Mm-hmm. And I, that's not a, a, a like a, a joke against women. That's just you invite sin. You invite uh, jealousy. Jealousy. Jealousy is probably the number one
0: thing. Then mistrust and lies. Yeah. You know, so you can see how that could snowball all the way down. And then, not only that, you know, it's one of the interesting things I wanted to ask. I would like to ask you now. I didn't have this as a question, but that your sin that you commit, and what I've read in the Bible, from what I understand, comes down upon generations of your offspring. Is that correct? It can. Um, Meaning if I commit sins and I generate offspring and the sins, then those sins, before they're cleansed off of my offspring, go down several generations before they get cleansed necessarily. Meaning like your sins don't necessarily affect you yourself. You're also affecting your children by the sins you created. Is that true?
1: There are sins that become generational uh, that uh, pass down, but the uh, that's more of the Old Testament, the original covenant uh, where, with the Israelites. Through Jesus, he breaks those. So once you've committed a sin and you've repented and you've handed it back to God, and like, God, I messed up, take this from me, he washes you clean. Now, the sin itself is washed clean, consequences of the sin. You know, like the natural consequences, if I have an affair and I cheated my wife, you know, that causes a break in the marriage, it causes a break between me and my kids, potentially, uh, that causes me to have to step away from children's ministry. You know, there's consequences, which is, which sometimes Jesus will help you avoid those. Sometimes you do have to pay that price in the natural world for your, your sin. Um, so the effect of generational sin is broken through Jesus because he was, he's the sacrificial lamb that paid it all, but the consequences, which is kind of like, it may feel like I'm parsing a little bit, splitting hairs, but the consequences of your actions, even though it's forgiven, those still may have to be paid here in the natural because God doesn't always save us from our own mistakes. Sometimes we have to go through a learning process Sometimes we have to go through that process to teach other people how to show us grace for our mistakes. So yeah. um, so the consequences are, are, are slightly different when you're talking about the natural world, uh, you know, the world that we live yeah, in. Yeah, the
0: natural world is what yeah. I was mainly speaking about because you're,
1: well, I guess what I was referring to as
0: far as, well, I guess what it is referring to as far as when Jesus died on the cross, for your sins, meaning as long as you repent and try to live in a life of uh, Christ, you won't go to hell right, but it doesn't absolve you of the right. sins that you had. Those are still going to be paid, but you're not going to go to hell. So as long as you don't, you know what I'm saying? like right. I'm fine with paying for the sins that as long as I don't go, there which you know where i saw i saw i was like no i don't want to go there i do not want to go there so as long you know and that's and i'm fine with that because like yeah you know if you made mistakes you should pay for them and that's okay and i'm fine with paying for them as long as you know you know i want to go to heaven but as long as i don't go there you know i don't even want to say the word as long as I don't even go there, like, you know, as far away from there as I can get. And it doesn't even have to be heaven, it could be anywhere between there and there. But, and I heard there's several levels of heaven, right? Isn't there supposed to be three heavens?
1: There, there are, there's a description of like the third level of heaven and so forth. Uh, that is something I'm not well studied on. Yeah. Um, I do know that the Bible also says that uh, it, Paul writes about it where. If you're not in your body, you're with the Lord, which means that essentially when you're a Christian and you die, there's no like purgatory. There's no like holding area or waiting room. It's like you die, you're there. And Jesus kind of affirms that with the thief on the cross where he says, you know, I tell you today you will be with me in paradise. It's not saying, you know, you try to say, well, Jesus didn't mean today literally. If he didn't mean today, literally, he would have said, I feel like he would have said something differently. Yeah. But he said, today you will be with me in paradise, which means that when the thief on the cross died, because he recognized who Jesus was, he is now in heaven immediately after he died. Um, So I think that anybody that tries to teach that, yeah, because there are three levels or this and the other thing that it means that there's like a, a step process. I think that goes against what Jesus said on the cross and goes against what Paul taught. But and that's just my impression, I could be sure. wrong. Yeah. Um but there's 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 basically there's two choices. Either you choose to follow Christ into heaven or you choose to follow the wide path uh to destruction. And uh there's no like halfway point, there's no purgatory, there's no like Um, second chance after you die that like okay you're you're at a 69 we can get you one extra credit point you get a passing grade no it's 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 uh, pass fail right yeah it's pass fail and there are enough opportunities to pass and it doesn't take much to pass it takes literally accepting the free gift of salvation it's it's not a checklist it's not a list of 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 ingredients and some magic spell, it's literally realizing I'm a sinner. I've messed up. I can't pay my debt. I need Jesus's ability to pay my debt in order for me to live. And and there's no formula because you look at the thief on the cross. All he did was say, "Jesus, remember me." He didn't have this long sinner's prayer of. Dear Lord, if you would just come in my heart and you would just heal me and you would just forgive. No, he just said, Jesus, remember me. And that's all it took. And it also shows that while we're ordered and we're told that we should go and be baptized, the thief wasn't baptized because when did he have a chance? So, you know, these different things where people try to teach it, there are certain things you have to do in order to prove or, or become a, a, a saved Christian. No, all you have to do is confess with your lips and believe in your heart. Because if you confess with your lips, you know, we know people that lie. There are Christians that lie. Uh, Christian husbands have to lie sometimes, you know. Honey, does this look bad? Or Mm -hmm. how's how's dinner? Oh, it's wonderful, honey. (laughs) You know. Well, what are your thoughts on that particular instance?
0: Like, should we be, because I have a a problem with that. Mm -hmm. I know that if I lie in this particular scenario, it's going to be better than if I tell the truth in this particular, even though it seems so subtle and you, you, you're just basically saying like, Hey, does this make my butt look big? (laughs) You know, like, you know, what is the answer? Is the answer, the truth, the truth, and nothing but the truth or is it, baby or or do you just deflect all altogether and say I'm not going to answer that so that you don't lie and what it, how do you how do you handle that particular type of question or what do you think is the best way to handle that particular question? because I struggle with that probably every couple of days with right. something where it's like I know that I'm going to lie right there how do I not lie yet? Circumnavigate that. There's a circumnavigation that has to happen in the mind for you to be able to wrap your brain around how not to lie. Because Mm -hmm. the straight arrow, easiest thing to do is to lie. So you have to think about how to circumnavigate that whole thing. You know, Mm -hmm. do you, right? And I have a tough time. And sometimes I'm just like, I tell the truth and it hurts people's feelings. And I'm like, well, what do you want me to do? Lie?
1: Yeah. It's tough, and the first thing I would say is, in the Old Testament, in the Ten Commandments, uh, it says, "Don't bear false witness," which is not it. That is not referring to the white lies of, you know, that you you would tell your wife, girlfriend, whatever that is, you're doing in order to affirm them. Um, this is referring to, don't say that, hey. I saw Carl over there stealing those biscuits or I saw you know Samantha sleeping with somebody somebody else. Yeah, you know, it's, don't, it's don't very... lie
0: about somebody else, basically. Right. Yeah. Don't
1: don't lie uh, don't... about
0: somebody else. Don't say they're doing something they didn't do.
1: Sure. Yeah, exactly. That, don't don't misrepresent somebody in, in court or in uh in front of uh, uh the the um uh, mediators. Um, don't bear false witness. to which basically don't put people in jail for for false accusations. So the, the Ten Commandments don't really address it so much. But I think the biggest thing is, what's your heart? Uh, are you telling the lie because you're you did something wrong? You're trying to cover your own, own own butt. That will be sinful. But if your wife asks you a question and she needs the affirmation more than the truth and you're doing it out of love, I, I would not consider that sinful. Um, But if you're, if you're lying uh, to cover something up, if you're lying out of malice, if you're lying uh, to cover up another sin, then yeah, that that's completely wrong. But like, would you consider um, misleading somebody about a surprise birthday party, a lie in, in a sinful thing? No because you're you're doing something that's for their benefit out of love uh so i would I would compare it to to that because is it, me telling my wife she looks good in a horrible looking pair of of capri pants am, <laughs> am I telling her something that's going to wreck her relationship with the Lord? no, uh-uh. I'm building her up. I'm telling her that I love her and I'm willing to see the beauty in what she's doing, even if it's atrocious. But the idea is,
0: (laughs) but I see, but see, that's where I kind of disagree a little bit because if it is atrocious, okay, let's just, let's turn the attention away from your uh, wife saying, Hey, does this make me look? What if it's your daughter? Hey, does this make me look? And it's an inappropriate outfit, right? Right. Right. Yeah. So, right. So is it an inappropriate outfit for either your wife or for your daughter? Right. It could be the same sort of scenario.
1: Right. Yeah. If it's something where like if it's revealing either for my wife sure. or my or my daughter, and there, there's a higher thing in place like her purity, her modesty, uh, her ability to witness as a Christian, because let's be honest. If you're flaunting your goods, you're not being modest. And modesty is one of the things that we're called to as Christians because we're not supposed to flaunt. We're not supposed to reveal. Um, So if my wife came down and said, hey, let's go to church and you could see everything from from here to the navel, honey, why don't we put something different on? Uh, (laughs) If my daughter came that way, it's like, nope, you're not going out that way. I will go buy you an Amish dress that goes from from the nape to your ankles, yeah. you know. Uh, in those situations, you're protecting them. You're protecting them from being objectified by other men because men are visual. And if a woman comes in in immodish clothing, that will cause them to stumble. Yeah. And they become a, the women become object, objectified, and it becomes a distraction from the Lord. So in those instances, you don't lie. Um, if if my wife showed up and said, "Hey, let's go out," and she's wearing something revealing, it you know, it's like, no, why don't we stay in? You know, um, <laughs> right? But, let's enjoy uh, that outfit together. Yeah, but yeah, when it when something that when there's something that's gonna that's a higher level that's more important, you don't lie about it, uh, even if it hurts feelings, because. Jesus wasn't afraid to hurt feelings if if you needed to be corrected. Yeah. Um, you, you do it gently, you do it in love, you do it in truth, but you never hide mm-hmm. the truth to protect feelings. Um, and you don't, but you also, um, you, you protect the heart is the biggest thing. You protect the heart long-term. Like, uh, you know, there are certain lifestyles out there that seem harmless, but they're a distraction from the purpose that the Lord has designed. You don't go out and you you don't grab a bullhorn and blast the person living that lifestyle and tell them, oh, you're a sinner, you're going to hell. That does nothing for them. That does nothing to draw them closer to the Lord. But what you do is if you have a relationship, a friendship, um, somebody in your family that's doing that, you find the ways to be Jesus in their life and if there's an opportunity, you speak truth and love, but you don't go looking for the opportunity. Like, if you have, have a cousin that's doing something wrong, unless you have a deep relationship with that person, you don't have the right to just kick down their door and say, hey, you're a sinner. Uh, your job is to to love them and look for those opportunities to pour into them. Uh, you think about uh, Jesus when he met the, uh, the woman at the well. He didn't just sit there and say, yeah, you're an adulteress. You've been sleeping around all over town. That's why you're here by yourself. No, he had a conversation with her. He treated her with respect. He treated her as a human being. And then when, when the time was right, he was able to speak into the sin that she's been living in. And it, it because he waited and built a relationship in those moments, she was able to receive it and realize Oh, he is the Messiah because he knows my sin, but he still loves me and he still wants the best for me. And that's how we have to do it. When we when there's a, a a reason to confront a sin or confront a lifestyle or confront a choice, we our job is not to go looking for it, but our job is to be ready for the opportunity when the Lord provides it. And the Lord may never provide that moment for you to speak directly to that sin. It may be that your job is just to be there and represent the love and, and the freedom in Christ so that they become attracted to that. And, then, and they start realizing, oh, maybe there's a different way to live. Um, so, yeah, we're not supposed to necessarily be storming the beaches of Normandy on every single sin. We have to build have that relationship. We have to have that um, that capital to be able to spend on that moment. Um and I think that's one place that Christians get it really wrong. We we like to wave our banners and we like to scream on Facebook about certain things, but we don't build the relationships where we can actually disciple somebody and say, hey, you know, I love you um, and you have the free will to do what you want. But I don't think you're on a path that's leading to the Lord. Yeah, I think uh,
0: I think you're right. And one of, one of the things that I have trouble with because I have a a buddy who's like really strong and handing out the uh, what what does he call them the the tracks uh, yeah yeah handing out Bible tracks to just uh, you know just kind of put us a, a little seed into people and that's sure. how he says it and he's like all right well why don't you go hand out a track over there to that that girl she looks like she needs one I'm like no oh, I'm like nervous this is like. It's so it feels like I'm like intruding into a space like if it had if it falls on my lap and I have a track, then it feels normal. But uh, I'm not I, I guess I have I have a personal struggle with spreading the gospel and knowing when it is overstepping versus my duty to spread the gospel. Do you have that same thing? And, or, and if you do, do you have uh, an idea of how I
1: can get around that? It it is very difficult. Evangelism is very difficult. It, it requires a lot of prayer and a sensitivity to what God wants to speak to, to you and through you. Um, Judging somebody by their physical appearance or, like if you see two girls walking down the street, holding hands, you make an assumption, and think, oh, they need Jesus. I think that that's that could be potentially dangerous unless you're truly hearing from the Lord. And the first step is always approach in kindness. Um, you know, approach with maybe something just as simple as like, hey, do you know, do you know who Jesus is? Or, um, you just start a conversation, hey, how are you guys today? And then let the track be the last thing, and, uh, that you do is like, you know, you because again, it, it's about relationship. Yeah, you have you've had Billy Graham that's been out there, that and, and all these other evangelists that have seen people come to the altar and accept Christ in that moment, but that's not the end of it, it's relationship, it's discipling. And so just walking up to somebody and just handing them a track, it doesn't necessarily always make an impact. So the the biggest thing is have a relationship, even if it's a three minute relationship with a conversation. Hi, how are you doing? Can I pray for you? Is there anything you need prayer for? Most people, when you ask, can I pray for you? They'll receive it even if they're a devout atheist, because they understand that it's a kindness. Um. So, you know, asking if they want prayer, asking them if they know who Jesus is. You know, t- would, would, a, would a more effective way, and I'm just
0: spitballing because mm-hmm. I really do want to get this, this, you know, I really do want to figure out how to do it. Yeah. Would saying, can I pray with you be more effective than can I pray for you? Meaning it doesn't necessarily wrong them. Initially, off the bat, like saying, "Can I pray for you?" As somebody said that to me, and I wasn't Christian yet, I might find, "Well, what's wrong with me? Why do, I, why do you have to pray for, for me? I don't mm-hmm. need to be yeah. prayed for, right?" That, it, it, would it would saying with me change the narrative enough, or do you or do you think no? That's it. Maybe I'm overthinking it.
1: No, I mean, it, it's a good thought um and, and maybe uh, you use a you know um just say something along the lines of is there anything I could pray for uh, so that way, if you say can I pray with you, you run the risk of them saying, well, I'm not gonna pray uh, I got you you.
0: It. okay
1: yeah, um, that makes sense so then
0: so then what would be the perfect? get in you know no because we're working right. it out right now in real time right. which is cool like you know because nobody has the answers right you right. think you have the answer but only god has the answers you could read right. the bible a thousand times you still don't understand it because it is that beautiful and that complex you could read it right. thousands of times and still not understand it you know
1: so yeah, I mean, and it's one of those things that there there's not a blanket. Um, it goes back to you know being in tune with 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 God and His Holy Spirit because if you're in tune for this group of people saying, "Hey, can I pray for you?" could work. Sure. But this other group, they they just need to have somebody that they can just vent to. Okay. And they don't want They they don't want to do prayer. They don't want to do the evangelism. They just need to to like have this verbal vomit. For a moment and then yes. and then see that this per- the person that you are still looking them in the eye. You're you're not judging them. Uh, you're not sitting there like writing down the list of things like, OK, these are things that you need to work out. They just need to, to get it off their chest. And when they get it off their chest, suddenly the wall that they've built has been torn down. Now they can hear from you about how to maybe pray and uh, you know maybe even a, a scripture that addresses it. Um, so the biggest thing is whenever you're evangelizing you're, I know there's a lot of groups that go out on the streets and and just randomly talk to people. Uh, the biggest thing is to be in prayer constantly, be in prayer as you're talking to the people, uh, be in prayer um, you, before, during and after your encounters. And then also with every encounter, know that you're you're planting seeds, you're you're spreading seeds. Yeah, Um, you may not see the harvest. You may not you may evangelize on the street for 50 years and never see a sinner repent and come to Christ. But out of those years, you've probably touched so many lives that have in turn touched other lives. And you may have watered seeds that were planted by somebody else or planted seeds that were later watered. And then the harvest came in later. And then on the other side of eternity, when we're in heaven, you get greeted by a hundred people that said, you know what, if you hadn't talked to me that day, I I may never have come to Christ, but because you talked to me, it marinated in my head. And then somebody else said something to me that confirmed what you told me. And that's when I accepted Christ. Yeah. That's the same story that happened to me. mm -hmm. I uh,
0: got spoken to by my, my good friend Thomas uh, about that coming to Jesus and I didn't dismiss it, but I didn't take hold of it. Mm. And then when my moment happened, right. And I was like, I have no idea what to do. Boom. Thomas, Jesus Christ came right into my fourth. Mm. And I was like, that's the answer. So it it was like that, you know, like it was like, you know, and if, if you ever meet Thomas, you would you would love him. He's he's awesome. Yeah. Uh, he uh, he said he was so disappointed when he talked to me because he that i that i that he thought he messed up that uh, you know that, that he didn't do a good job converting yeah. me, and then seven eight months later. Here I come, coming back to him and saying, look, I've found the Lord and you're the one that led me to the Lord. And that's how it happened. So, yeah, you're right.
1: Uh, It's awesome how that happens, too. Um, And and it's very easy to get discouraged when you don't see the results right away. Uh, Somebody that's that's worked with kids for many years. I may never see the, the, the kid come to Christ, but I. But years later, somebody else gets to see that happen. And I'm just somebody along the assembly line just putting pieces in. And it, it's beautiful how God has designed it to where everybody plays a role. And um, the the um, the analogy of the body of each part having its role, you know, the, you know, there's certain parts of your body that never get any glory. But without that piece of the body, you're completely incomplete and you're failing and you're falling. If you think about uh, your digestive tract, the very end of your digestive tract, if it doesn't work, if it doesn't do its job, nothing else can do its job. We think about the brain and the heart and the lungs as the most important. But if the end of your digestive tract isn't working, everything backs up and you're in a world of hurt. So not every part of the body is going to get glory on this side, but every part of the body is so important. And it's just our job to do our job. The the foot can't do the job of the hand. The hand can't do the job of the eye. All we can do is just do our job and then leave the results to God. And that's sometimes the hardest thing to do is, especially in America, because I think that American society is so results driven in everything that if we go out as Christians in America, we don't see 500 people saved today. We feel like we failed. But if we if we take the word to heart and we take the word out to the masses, God promises that his word will not return void, meaning that when we spread the word, it's going to have an impact. And the results are not up to us. The results are up to God. He brings in the harvest. It's our job just to work the fields. And here's something that I've learned in ministry uh, and talking with other pastors and, and, and doing my own preaching from the pulpit. You don't have to say the perfect thing. You don't have to have the perfect words. You don't have to be a dynamic speaker. You just have to be willing because I've learned from pastors and I've had the experience myself where by being a willing vessel and just speaking and saying whatever is on your heart, God's going to use that because there have been many stories where somebody will have spoken, whether it's a preacher on Sunday morning or in a one-on-one conversation And like eight months later, a year later, that person that was being spoken to, that person in the congregation comes up and says, when you said these words, when you said this at that time, it really stuck with me and really changed my life. But the fact is that person, the preacher or the person speaking, never said those actual words. But those were the words that their spirit heard on that spiritual level and that God was able to use because you were a willing vessel. It sounds like mystic and weird and. Uber it's certain.
0: not mystic and weird at all. Because I I totally get it. Because uh, I have spoken to people. Well, you can speak to a crowd of people, and one person will interpret these words, and the other person will interpret it another way. So it there are filters that God puts up in front wait, he's not ready to hear that. Wait, he wasn't ready to hear that yet. Mm-hmm. Even though you're speaking the same words to everybody, he puts up filters for the ones that are not yet ready to understand that. And at the time that those people are able, he pulls down their filters. You know, like yeah. God, God is in control, complete control. Right. I was saying earlier, you think you're not being, you, you think you're doing something in secret? You're not, you're being surveilled 1000% of the time every iteration of even where your eyeball goes, your eyeball goes to where your eyeball goes and it goes there too long. And it's a, in a sinful way, like what you were talking about it, that is recorded, Mm -hmm. you know, that is recorded and written down in the book of time. And it's, and I've seen it. I've seen it. They showed me, (laughs) they showed me my record (laughs) and it was not a good record. No. And I and I could not believe it because in my heart, I thought that I was a good person because right. I hadn't murdered anybody and I don't steal for a living. But no, <laughs> that, those are not the two sins that you need to worry about. There's so many other sins that you don't realize that you're doing on a daily basis.
1: Right. And what, what's really cool about what you just shared was that's my wife's testimony. When she was uh, a teenager, uh, she was uh, actually in you know, uh, in counseling for some things that uh, she had gone through as a kid, and in the middle of a counseling session, she she saw Jesus and she saw her record, like like you were talking about, seeing of everything that she'd done, and it just hit, it galled her that I, I'm really that bad. I've done that many things. And she saw her record, but then she also saw Jesus was blotting them out one by one, and that was her, you know, salvation moment.
0: That's beautiful. I didn't see that. I didn't okay.
1: see
0: G. Je- I didn't see Jesus, or I didn't see Jesus blotting it out. I saw three Egyptian deities, hmm. and uh, uh, Felicia, uh, from what I can understand, because I did a lot of. Uh, 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 they showed me wars between this dynasty and this di- not dynasties. Uh, well, they are dynasty. Dynasty versus this dynasty. The Roman Empire conquering this empire, and this empire conquering this empire. And then they showed me like as a like as a, a alligator, just uh, and a monkey, like meaning that in. In one sense, I was being like kind of like a predator, and on this sense, I was being like a buffoon, so I was like a buffoon predator. I don't know, I, I, I you know, it, it was just showing it to me in this, sure. uh, I, in this vision. And it was three Egyptian deities writing on a sheet that was on the wall, like a tapestry. And, man, let, let me tell you, and I, and I was around people, too, at the time. Mm. And I, I kept I was saying to them, I was like, you don't see that. And they were looking at me like I had three heads. And I said, you don't see this. You don't see what's happening right there. And uh, it was just for me. I learned to realize. But it, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't like that. So obviously I was way worse than your wife. Because like I didn't get the opportunity to see Jesus, or none of it got blotted out. For me, it was like either turn it around now, or that's where you're going. Mm-hmm. For me, that's what it was. Gotcha. So, yeah. so it, you know, so I still don't know if I'm saved, to be honest, because like it, it like I still have to climb back up. You know what I mean? Even though I do believe in Jesus and I do, I, I still live with the fear that I did so bad that I'm not sure, you know, you know know what I'm saying? And I know that everybody's supposed to be saved from the blood of Jesus, but, but something in me tells me I still have to work harder than most in order to be able to, to get to the graces of you know, yeah. even if I still, I don't know.
1: Well, look at the the writer, the, the, the guy that wrote most of the New Testament, Paul. He spent years killing Christians because he thought that's what God needed him to do. And he had this moment of this vision of the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he was immediately saved. No matter how many Christians he killed, no matter how many people he tortured or arrested, no matter how many people he meant harm for, in that moment when he realized who Jesus was, he was saved and that was all forgiven. If he had done nothing else, he would have missed his calling. He would have missed a lot of opportunities. But in that moment, he was saved. So the second that you say yes, just like the thief on the cross, The thief on the cross wasn't nailed to the cross because of one crime he committed. Most of those people that were punished like that, chances are they made a lifestyle out of it. Maybe it was because they're just trying to feed their family. Maybe they were just really greedy. Who knows? But the thief on the cross probably had a laundry list of things that he'd done. He was probably a murderer. He probably killed somebody along the way. But the second he recognized Jesus as Lord, he said, Lord, remember me when you uh, enter your kingdom, he was saved. There's nothing he could do. There's nothing he had to do beyond that. So what happens is the enemy likes to use our momentum against us. They say that the, that idle hands are the devil's playthings, mm-hmm. but also a busy mind, a busy heart is the devil's plaything Because it, I, I don't know if you've ever gone bowling, but when you bowl, if there's something small on the alley, you may not even see it, but if your ball at 12 pounds hits something small and over the course of the alley, the momentum will, will force the ball off track. And that's what the devil likes to do. He may not be able to knock your ball completely in the gutter, but he can throw something in front of that, in, in front of your ball. So it knocks it just slightly off track so that instead of getting a strike, you get a split or maybe you, you have to pick up a spare. Um, so. The enemy likes to lie to us and and say, you know, use our momentum against us. Like, you had this radical experience. You realize, all right, so the Lord is showing me this. I'm on a a dangerous path. I'm going to turn around. Repent literally means turning away. So when I repent from sin, I turn away from it. So you've had that moment where you've turned away and you've sought God. So in that moment, you were saved. Now, uh, salvation is... Both a one, you know, one and done and a, a process. So you accepted Christ, you're saved, you're going to heaven. And as long as you don't actually believe in your heart that I no longer want Jesus as my savior, you're going to be saved. So all this so, stuff. So I'm, even
0: though, even like at that moment, I got saved. That's beautiful to even think because like, I, you know, like I still feel like I don't deserve it. You know what I mean?
1: Well, yeah, none of us do. That's the thing. No, <laughs> yeah, True. I mean, Probably who here true. would ever like if a fireman dies saving you in a fire, you didn't deserve it. That was a, a grace. That was a mercy. So Jesus saved you from that fire. Not because you earned it, but because he loved you and he wanted you to have that second chance. And his sacrifice is sufficient to cover all sins for all men. Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him, sold him to the Romans, uh, to the Jewish leaders. I firmly believe that had Judas come to the foot of the cross at the crucifixion and said, Jesus, I'm sorry, I sold you into the hands of the people that are killing you. Judas would have been in heaven. But didn't he kill himself before that happened? He did. And that's unfortunate. I, I truly believe that. That God's grace through Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient, that even Judas could have been saved if he had repented and come to the cross. I And this is an opinion that you know, will shock people and probably upsets people. But if in those final moments in the bunker, if Adolf Hitler had found Jesus in that moment and repented before the U.S. armed forces got there and whether or not he committed suicide, whatever, but if he had repented in that bunker, he would be in heaven because Christ's sacrifice is sufficient for all sin. Now, do I know you that's think, a very unpopular how, thing. Yeah, but how do you know he didn't repent? Maybe he did. That That's the thing. And that's something that I don't like broadcast everywhere I go. But when I get into theological conversations, I, I challenge people that think that, that there's a limitation to Jesus's grace. Uh, the Bible tells us that there's no limit. Now, do we sin in order to create more opportunities for grace? No, we don't take advantage of, of the freedom of grace because that means that we're not generally appreciating, We're not generally receiving Christ as our Savior and as our Lord. Yeah, But I I believe that Christ's sacrifice, fully God, fully man, the only sinless man in history. I think he's sufficient that had Adolf Hitler had a moment of true repentance, he would be in heaven. And I know that's ugly and hard to think about given what he did.
0: It's not because, it's not. It's not because, like, what makes Adolf Hitler an evil man? Like, I'm. I have been just as an evil man before in certain thoughts and certain moments and certain like, you know, I have wanted to kill somebody before. Like sure. I had thought about it. I was so angry. I wanted to kill that person, you know, like I wanted them dead. So what? so, because I had that one, it only lasted like a a split second. And Adolf Hitler's lasted, I don't know, twenty years, whatever the amount was. Do those two different variables offset each other? And I say no. The just a spark of anger is just as much as twenty years of anger towards a certain thing. And if this one can be saved, then that one can be saved. Yeah. I that's what I believe. I mean, yeah.
1: I, what are your thoughts in salvation? It our, our relationship with the Lord. It is literally like a, a bubble. You can't partially pop a bubble. So yeah. amen. So if you pop a bubble, whether it's one little sin or slaughtering six million people, that bubble is burst. But Christ can rebuild that bubble and reunify you with, with God. Right. Um, so and, and like I said, Paul, he killed Christians in the very beginning of the Christian church, in the very aftermath of Christ's crucifixion, resurrection, and then ascension into heaven. Paul was out there killing people who said, Jesus is a savior. Jesus is the Messiah. And he became the greatest writer of the new Testament. So if there is a limit to Jesus grace, then why would, why would the greatest writer be somebody that killed and persecuted Christians? Yeah. That's
0: one of the things that I struggle with uh, today with politics and everything that's going on i don't know if you know anything that's going on with these vaccines and all uh, and i don't know what your thoughts are we don't even have to get into any of that but apparently what i've come to know is that there are very evil things going on worldwide currently Mm -hmm. with these vaccines with the uh uh, COVID-19 and its origins and we don't have to get into any of that because that's very controversial and I know I've talked to a few people and they get very passionate and angry about that and I don't want that to happen but that said what are your thoughts on this whole uh, what let me let me start here do you think that we are living in the end of times right
1: now? I the, I jokingly put it this way that you know the Bible tells us that even Jesus doesn't know the day, the, hour, the day or the hour that he's coming back. But I jokingly say that yeah, Jesus doesn't know the day or the hour, but God tell him not to buy green bananas. Mm. Right. Yeah. You know, right. uh, I believe there. that we're, he's not ready. Right. <laughs> I believe that we're in the The final act, Um, whether or not it's uh, this year, five years, ten years, I truly believe that. You know, we're both fairly young. I'm guessing you're probably early 30s. Uh, Thank you so much. I'm 43. Appreciate. Oh wow. Okay. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) Uh, I I just turned 40 or 43. Uh, Both I think are in relative decent health. I think you and I will see. Jesus return in our natural lifetime? Okay, Um, that's what I was asking. Yeah, yeah. And that's a scary thought because not
0: only do we have to lit, there's a tribulation coming, mm -hmm. right? Uh, And not only that, but we're going to have to decide whether to take the mark of the beast. And from what I have uh, understood, the mark of the beast is going to be commerce, meaning buy or sell or even uh, take part in you know uh, getting fed, shelter in right. the, you know in the, the current world. so so the tribulation for Christians is going to be hey, it's going to be tough times. Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna be tough. And sorry, but this is the price that you had to pay to get to heaven. I mean, am I wrong?
1: Right uh, now, there and there are very uh, there are a lot of varying interpretations of the word. There are some that believe that before the tribulation, uh, Jesus will call up the church out of the world, and the the church leaving the world. You know, the Christians that are practicing, pursuing, and serving the Lord mm-hmm. will be called up in what's called what's referred to as the rapture. And yes, by yes, moving, those are
0: the saints, right? Yeah,
1: well, the saints will will be uh, okay. And, yes, and the saints, go. the saints is everybody that's a true believer in this in Jesus as Savior. Uh there, there's no specific office or no specific rank that makes you a saint, other than believing that Jesus is Lord. So uh, there's some, there are many that believe that Jesus will call his saints home and pull them out of the world. And because the church is no longer in the world, that's what brings about the tribulation for those that refuse to believe. Um, Then there's some that believe that Jesus will do the rapture midway through the tribulation. There are some that believe that after the seven years of tribulation, that's when Jesus calls his church home. And then immediately they all return together. And um, so eschatology, which is the study of the end times, It's complicated because I think that Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit designed it to be not unclear, but to be a point where we would talk to each other and fellowship and study and dive into his word. I think he intent and this is my my interpretation um, that that there's some things that the Bible doesn't express clearly because if he just told us everything outright we would find an excuse not to be together, not to study, not to not to pray. We think, okay, we read the book, we understand. Um, so I do believe that we are in the end times. There are certain things that the Bible predicts that haven't happened yet. But again, you're talking about the mark of the beast. I don't believe that the COVID-19 vaccine is the mark of the beast. I don't believe it. I believe it's a dress rehearsal because like you talked about the commerce, so many people were so excited with the idea of, a passport to require you uh, that you had to show it in order to participate in in shopping, going to uh, entertainment events, uh, going to even see loved ones in the hospital. And for me, that was like, it's a dress rehearsal. The vaccine itself, you, you, I, I believe that in many ways it harms people because we haven't studied it enough to know who is vulnerable to the side effects from but the vaccine. Yeah, and they're and they're uh alleviating
0: that now. But the Satan has pushed that as far as it can be pushed to where uh rebellion from us and perhaps the holy spirit is now like, okay, enough enough. You know. Yeah. All right, you've had your fun. It's time to go back to normal. And now even England is uh, putting back restrictions on that. I agree with you. It the, the mark of the beast is not the vaccine, it is a dress rehearsal. The mark of the beast is going to be the social credit score system that is coming about, which is going to, and there's, it's not as easy as just to think that it's just like, oh, take the vaccine, that's the mark of the beast. Or, uh, oh, you have a social credit score on your phone, and that's the mark of the beast. No, there is a multifaceted arrangement going on to make it the mark of the beast meaning that they're tying in so many different things and 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 it's beyond my even thinking mind how you know like how to tie it on them but I for whatever reason I know uh that uh it's it does have to do with a social credit score. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it does have to do with some sort of a debit card uh, that is e- that is put in it's either on your hand or on your forehead. And I don't know how they put it on your forehead or they put it on your hand, but they're already doing it in Switzerland. In Switzerland, you already got microchips that yeah. go into your hand, and then you could just go and that's your debit card. I don't know if you've ever seen that uh, uh, that movie uh, with, uh, uh, what's the thing? Justin Timberlake, where- Oh, time. Time. Or out of time or something? Yeah, no, time. You're right, yeah. time. Time is your money. So it's the same sort of kind of a deal, right? Like you have this much time and that's your currency. The currency is time. So time equals dollars. Right. And the more time you had, the more dollars you have because time equals dollars. so it's it's the same thing. you know it, man, so many things I want to talk to you about, but yeah. like, uh, always getting off track, and I'm so sorry. I'm so <laughs> oh, sorry. don't worry about it.
1: It's good. It's good conversation,
0: yeah, I love it. And um well, just to finish off that point, and I didn't mean to cut you off. The mark of the beast, It what I believe, is it's some sort of like a time sort of thing where it's like uh, you either take it and you become part of the system or you're ousted and you're not part of the system anymore.
1: Right. It's something that's going to limit your ability to do commerce. And it's going to be something that if you don't take it, people that you know, love and trust will either force you to get it or they will rat you out that's you know part of the end times of you know brother turning against brother father against son mother against daughter you know there Uh there will be betrayal because you refuse to take that mark and the thing is it and we've seen so many Christians say you know I'm just going to get the shot because I need to work and provide for my family and that's where I say that's the dress rehearsal you know it's you're taking this shot that you may or may not need in order to comply with something in order to provide monetary uh, support to your family. And that's where they get you. Mm. Uh, That's where the enemy knows, you know, if you're a working man or working woman, you're going to do what it takes to provide for your kids because you think that that's your highest calling. But unfortunately, and it's hard to swallow. And I don't want to say unfortunately, but Part of our life as a Christian is not necessarily to be comfortable. Um, I know we have to suffer. There, there's a
0: verses in the Bible where I've read where, like, suffering is part of it. You mm-hmm. you know, there there is a, it's not going to be, the reward comes at the end. You yeah. have to suffer to get the reward. So, like, this hundred years, or, you know, we say a hundred, but let's just say 80 years. This eighty years, hundred years, you know, that we're here on this earth, are it's minuscule to eternity, right? And this is a little bitty test. You're gonna be, you're gonna be in harm's way for ten years. What is that? Nothing. Twenty years. What is that? Nothing. Mandela was in prison for how long? Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't even remember. It was but like, like a long time. Yeah, yeah. right. But nothing, if if you compare it to eternity, you know that is a nothing time. And if you believe in eternity, then of course you would sacrifice twenty six years of your life.
1: Right. It's literally it, it, it. Think about our lives as the Shawshank Redemption. Uh, you know, he was in there. He had to literally crawl through like seven football fields of sewer. But once he got freedom and where his reward was at the end, that made their crawl so worth it because he was leaving so much trash behind. And it's it's like a parable because it's not a perfect theology, but it's, it's an analogy. It's I like it. we have to crawl through so much garbage and gunk but it's so short compared, like you said, to eternity. Compared to eternity, the pain we suffer here is like ripping off a Band-Aid. Mm. Uh, if we don't rip off that Band-Aid, we let it get infected, get the you know get gangrene and all this nasty stuff. But if we rip it off, we suffer that little bit of pain, then we can breathe, we're free, and we can heal and be healed. So, yeah, um, and it, it's hard. It's hard for us to contemplate. The, the little that we see versus the, the large that we don't see. And mm-hmm. sometimes we get so focused on this that we want this to be easy, but we forget what God has here. And that's why we have to be constantly in prayer. That's why the Psalms talk about where does my help come from? My help comes from here, not here where I can see it, but from above. Yeah. So um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a test, but the great thing is it's an open book test.
0: Yeah, man, that is that is that I would love for that to be a T-shirt like no joke that is a great saying it's a test but it's but the lucky thing it's an open book test what a great saying by the way that have you said that before because if you just said that right now that was brilliant not that <laughs> it wouldn't re- be brilliant if you said it before either that it wouldn't be brilliant it, it it's brilliant either way it's a i can't test. take credit for it yeah okay Who, who but, said it?
1: i've heard it somewhere else it i think that it i have no idea where it came from but it's still good it's, it's still good
0: fun. Now that's a great one like yeah life is a test but the great thing is it's an open book test i mean yeah it is because the book is readily available to you now are you going to actually open up the book is the question right mm-hmm. are you even going to get the book right. that's a question How do we get the book into other people's hands, and how do we get them to open it? That's the question, right?
1: Yep. Absolutely.
0: It wasn't it was rhetorical, but it wasn't rhetorical because, like, I want. How do we get people to come to the gospel? How do we, or or is it even our jobs? It's not right. It's just
1: it's God. It's God working through us, but. It's our job to, to tell people about it, but the, the decision is theirs. We can't force them, we can't force our kids, we can't force our spouses, we can't force our parents, brothers or sisters. We can just tell them the truth and tell them the story of how you know how we were saved from our sin. To give them our testimony, tell them uh, tell our, our the people in our circles, this is who I was and this is who I am. And this is what Jesus did. And they'll try to argue with scripture. They'll try to argue with the stories from the Bible, but they can't really argue with what they've seen change in you. If they've seen you like with me go from somebody that would tell every dirty joke in the book, just trying to make people laugh in order to find my own validation to somebody that is using comedy to change people's lives they see that change and they have to wonder why, what, you know, what changed. And then I tell them it's because I, I truly pursued Jesus. Then that testimony is is what draws them because they've seen the difference. Um, And again, they can either see it and then say, wow, that's awesome. But then walk away or they can be motivated to say, I want some of that. And then, then they ask, how do I get it? And then you say, Here's the Bible, spend time talking to God and, and know that there is no right or wrong way to talk to God. Nobody has to be a uh, this awesome prayer warrior from the, the moment you start you know, talking to God. Yeah. It's a process. It's like when you date somebody, you don't normally have immediate chemistry. Like you might have immediate chemistry, but it's a relationship. You've got to work at it. Um, you got to introduce yourself and, and get used to the idea of, okay, I'm committed to this relationship. I'm going to pour into it. I'm going to spend time learning how to communicate. I'm going to spend time learning how to receive communication. That's, um,
0: that's, that, that leads into this question, which I've wanted to ask you for a really long time. Okay, I wrote it at the top of the page <laughs> and we just got uh, derailed for a minute, but what is your root, your daily routine for prayer? And then oh, what then you just made me ask another question, which is like, how did you start your prayers? Oh, you know, and I know you started young, um, but or maybe you could say, you know, maybe if somebody had a different story like your wife, where it took her a little bit longer to get to Jesus. What was her initial starting point? And now what is your daily routine? How has that daily routine of prayer progressed?
1: Yeah. In your life? For for me, yeah, I I did get started with the the initial salvation as a sixth grader at at camp, but I never really prayed. I I was never disciple, never prayed. So from sixth grade through age 31. I was never really in prayer. Uh, a lot of times, I would I would say something to God like, "Hey, I could really use your help," but I was treating him like a genie or like a you know like Superman, like, "Hey, swoop in, save me, and then go away." Mm-hmm. Um, and there, you know, in in the midst of my depression, there are moments where I get angry, and I would not be in prayer, but I would be yelling at God like, "God, leave me alone! Get out of my way! Stop messing things up!" And blaming him for everything that I felt was wrong, so for many years I didn't have a real prayer life. I didn't have the reverence and the the desire to really grow with God. So when I turned that page in 2013, I I really I dove into prayer. I prayed, you know, in the morning when I got up first thing, uh, obviously before each meal, uh, prayed throughout the day. Um, and i was really in, in a good flow um and to be honest the last couple of years it hasn't been as regular i mean i pray daily uh, but not nearly as often as i d- used to and again it's not a it's not a checklist like oh i have to pray five times a day uh, i know that in in islam they pray five times a day at at the same time they pull out their rug and they pray towards mecca Um, Christianity, it's a relationship. It's, you spend time with your father and you don't have to pray. You get to pray. You get to talk to the father. You get to share your day with him. He already knows what happened. So you're not going to surprise him, but he does want to know or have that relationship. Uh, just like, I, I agree with that. You know, it's, 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 it's similar to, uh,
0: like, there's in the bible it says something like uh don't pray to me like the heathens do meaning like like don't say the same things over and over and right. over and over again and then i took it one step further and i was like well if i'm praying the same things every day like and I and not not, and I'm excluding like the the our Father who are in heaven prayer because I pray that one every day because yeah. that's the one that is a sacred, I feel like it's a sacred prayer. yeah. So I pray that one specifically, like that every single day. But if you pray the other things that you pray for every day exactly the same way, you know, and that's where I'm trying to figure out like, Am I doing it right? Like, is is God, like, I already said, I said that yesterday. I said the same thing yesterday. I'm saying the same thing today. Have I given God enough time to even complete that that prayer from before? And I'm praying for it again, right? And then he says, don't pray like the heathens pray, where it's the same prayer every day. And I know I'm not praying it the same way that they are, but is it the same prayer every day? And is that adequate? Does that make any sense?
1: Yeah. And the difference is uh, it comes down to the heart, like the heathens that Jesus was talking about, where people were just basically reciting mind numb prayers, like, um, you know, the, the, our father, you know, that. If you say it only out of routine and not because you understand what you're actually saying, and it's just like a mindless going through the motion repetition, that's what Jesus was speaking against is don't make it some mindless repetition where you're not in it. You're just doing a checklist. It goes back to the heart of the issue, which is the heart. Um, Jesus compared to the, the old widow that gave the two mites, basically two pennies in the offering. And she was giving the offering in the same line as these rich rulers and these rich, you know, uh, leaders. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this woman gave more than any of these people because she gave from her heart. And when you make a, a prayer offering to God, which really that's what it is. It's like, I'm giving you my time, Lord, to communicate with you, to spend time with you. This is my offering. If you do it out of mindless repetition because you have to check a you know check a box, then that's, you know, you're doing no good. You're just wasting oxygen. But if you recite the Our Father and you do it because you recognize that Our Father, God, you know, you are in heaven. Um, I, I, You know, the King James is hallowed be thy name. You know, respected is your name. I respect your name. You know, when you have that reverence as you're reciting it, then you can recite it a million times in a row as long as the heart is in it. And if you pray for something each day and in the caveat there is if you're praying like, Lord, I really, I need a job and you keep praying that daily, but God gives you an answer, but you still pray despite you've got getting the answer. Then that's kind of that mindless repetition because you're in the habit of it. But if you're praying for a job and God says, you know, this is a season of rest. You'll get a job in six months. So at that point, he's answered your prayer. It may not be the answer you're expecting or hoping for, but he said, "This is a season of rest. Take six months. You can stop praying for the job because he's given you the answer." Uh, if you're praying, um, you know, if you're praying for kids, if you're praying for, you know, a wife or a husband, you know, whatever somebody may be praying. I don't. For.
0: I don't. I, do you think that it's right to pray for things? like gifts like even if it's you think it's okay to pray for those things i i I don't i don't pray for the i I pray i pray for other people i don't pray for myself i pray for myself to be as good as i can possibly be for the lord but i don't pray for like hey You know, there there was a real cool truck I saw that I really would love to have that. And if you don't mind, you know, like, and I know you don't either. But the message to you know the audience or to to anybody listening would be: what is prayer
1: intended to do? It's literally at the at the root of it. It's communication with God communication with your father and if it's on your heart that you're like god i know that this may be asking for a luxury but i really want a, a, a truck i really like the one i saw so lord i want to ask you you know you are the owner of the cattle on a thousand hills there's nothing out of your control <laughs> if you'll be able to bless me i you know, i'd be thankful but also don't expect you know just because you ask that you'll receive uh you know sometimes and sometimes god wants you to pray for the exorbitant thing so that That he could show why no because he's a he's a giver of good gifts jesus talked about when, when your son or daughter asks you for for food you don't give them rocks or a snake
0: no, yeah, but the, the food is a
1: necessity, a truck, a nice truck is is a, uh,
0: you know, it's a luxury. You don't
1: sure, right? Yeah, it, and again, it goes to where uh, an individual is at. If you're somebody that is very materialistic and you're obsessed with, you know, I want the coolest car, the coolest house. I want the coolest clothes. I want to look a certain way. I want to live a certain lifestyle. Then maybe your heart is not in the right place. But if you're wanting a truck, because it, it would be something you can use to serve God, whether you know, if you got a really fancy truck, maybe you go to some, you know, grade schools and you let the kids check out this powerful, awesome truck and you use that as an opportunity. Like, yeah, you know, you know what's even more powerful than this truck? It's God. God is even more powerful than, you know, and it, it it all comes down to the heart. Like you look at somebody like Creflo Dollar, uh, you know he was asking for like a forty-six million dollar jet so that he could fly around the world. I'm like, you may be able you may be able to justify the need for a private jet because you're doing ministry all over the world, and it's easier, safer, and ends up being cheaper controlling it yourself instead of using commercial. But you don't need this forty-six million dollar jet. You don't need to ask people who are barely scraping by to donate their money to your ministry so that you can fly in luxury. Um, and God doesn't shun us for wanting nice things. There's nothing wrong with nice things, but again, it's the heart. Is our heart about being showy and like you know coming in in with a you know a two thousand sh- dollar suit to church, or are we asking for these nice things because? You know, we want to. You know, we have a pure heart. Um, and, and again, it, it and it sounds simplistic, and it sounds like I'm repeating myself a lot. It's no, truly you're not. About the heart. Uh, Go ahead. Yeah, it's truly about the heart, and what, you know, what is your motive? What is your reason? Um, and there's nothing wrong with wanting nice things. There's nothing wrong with asking God, hey, you know, God, I. And it's not a like, hey, I've done this for you. Why don't you do this for me? It's a, hey, God, you know, that would be kind of awesome if I could have that. You know, that would be really fun. Because I know of pastors who have been blessed by God with very nice vacations with their families. Um, You know, a pastor is not necessarily condemned to a lifestyle of... Of eternal poverty and and boredom and not having access to going down to Branson, Missouri for a week with their family, God provides for the certain things because they're things that we enjoy. God is a father that loves to see his kids enjoy things. Um, do, does every Christian get guaranteed to enjoy every bit of life? No, there are, there are no guarantees like that. But it doesn't hurt to say, "Hey, Dad, you know it'd be really cool." If I could get a truck instead of driving this Nissan Sentra, you know, I, you, know you build me kind of big. Yeah, you know, I could lose the weight, but I just really like a truck. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with asking. Mm-hmm. Now, if God says, no, I want, you know, this is what I want for your life. Then going back to him like, hey, God, I'd just like to you know, appeal your, your previous decision. You know, I think I know better and I think that you should give me a truck. You know, it's those moments where you start questioning his judgment and try to convince him to change his mind. Yeah. Especially for the material. Like, but again, there's no blanket answers because our each each individual relationship with God is different because we're designed differently. Sure. Yeah. So if you feel like that
0: you have that kind of personal relationship with God, you can ask him that. I do not have that sure. personal relationship with God so I don't feel like I feel like that I would not be able to ask I'm not that close in relationship with him yet you know I strive to be sure. but I know that I'm not and it's good that you are so that you can ask him for like personal things personally for me I am not close enough yet to him to be able to ask him for personal favors let me ask let me ask you this before we head out did you conquer cheesy's challenge
1: on that yes. show? <laughs> all right so uh so we go back to one of the first questions we talked about deception and, and lying yeah i was playing a role on a tv show i did not eat half of what it showed on the TV show that I ate. Okay. Um, so that sandwich, and here, here's the sick and sad part. Had they not had a combination of buffalo wings and blue cheese on there, which are two things I hate.
0: Okay.
1: I mean, if they had just had I mean, regular chicken tenders and not the buffalo, I probably could have pulled it off. But the second I bit in and I tasted the blue cheese and the buffalo it was like, oh no, I'm gonna get sick on TV because it just it upsets me because I I don't like to make a habit of eating mold, you know. I got you. yeah, yeah, to. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but uh, yeah. but it, it it looked insurmountable. Like it just looked like a, there's no way. Like you know, it was you a legit could, you didn't even know how to open your mouth into it.
1: Right. You know, you're
0: trying to figure out how to even tackle it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it uh, it was a monster, Um, but yeah, throughout the uh, because it was filmed live with real customers in the store, as well as you know plants. So I'm there with a group of people. They're watching. So very subtly, you know, I had you know the earpiece. Uh, You know, they'd say, "Hey, Dave, do you think you can finish this?" I'm like, "No, I, I can't." They said, "Okay, watch for." Melinda or whatever her name was the the production assistant and give her a piece of your sandwich. So very, you know, you know as I'm cutting, I'd cut a big chunk and, you know, it's a busy bar or restaurant, you know, give her a piece of the sandwich. So it looks like I'm making progress. So uh, I didn't eat half of what it showed. Once I dissected the sandwich and was able to pull the stuff I liked, like they had macaroni and cheese on it. Uh, I think there was, there's like a pound of bacon on it, so like that kind of <laughs> stuff, I was like, okay, I could eat this, but like all the buffalo stuff, that's what I kept cutting and giving to the production assistant because, ugh, I mean, just buffalo, it's just there's no f- enjoyment from. So me. you had
0: to, but you had to pay forty dollars for it. What would you get in return? Uh,
1: you get well, to eat it for free, but you, you pay forty dollars. So for, <laughs> you get the forty dollars back. Uh, you get to drink for free, which. Would have done me no good because I don't drink. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, but even if you uh, had, had to a drink, like, yeah, even if you could drink,
0: you already put down forty pounds or whatever the pounds <laughs> of you know cheese, in you you're not yeah. gonna be able to drink, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, it's it like was, an oxymoron. It's like it's failure versus failure.
1: Yeah, and it was you know it's like the pro wrestling thing. It was choreographed it was set up for the audience's enjoyment okay. uh the forty dollars they gave me before the camera started rolling so i was just giving the production their money back mm. and uh there was you know there's no drinking done it was just i i tried to m- look legitimate as a competitive food eater um trying to finish the sandwich um which was actually really weird how i got the the gig i answered an ad on craigslist that said, we're uh, looking for big guys that like to eat. So I was like, "Well, okay, <laughs> here I am." <laughs> and then I get this email back said, "Hey, can you meet me at the uh, at this hotel on Ohio Street in Chicago?" And immediately I, I felt like red flags went off. I'm answering an ad on Craigslist about to go into a hotel in the, in downtown Chicago. I better let some people know where I'm going <laughs> in case I turn up missing.
0: <laughs> oh man. Yeah, but uh, it all I worked out. It was
1: fun. Yeah, it was
0: good, and and th- th- there were a couple of other uh, improv shows that uh, that you had been on. Uh, uh, Consequently, you know, beyond that, so yeah, I don't have any other questions, man. That was my
1: last question. Cool. Yeah, it was fun diving in, and, and you know digging into the word a little bit and, and thinking about what do I believe? And, and that's, I think that's that whole proverb about iron sharpening iron is that we're supposed to dive into the word of God and and study it and learn what God's showing us. And the thing about God's, uh, God's kingdom is he can tell different people different things. Like uh, you feel strongly that, your prayer time should not be devoted to things for you, which, you know, my prayer time isn't devoted for things for me, but whenever there's something in my heart, something that we need, something that we want, I'll ask God, I'll be like, Hey God, this would be really cool. And and just to be clear, I don't, I don't,
0: I don't know what mm -hmm. prayer time is supposed to be, uh, Pointed towards so you asking for something in prayer for you like i like i who am I to judge like what you're supposed to be praying for? you know what i mean like i'm I'm not a judge, you know mm-hmm. like i and and I apologize if uh it made you feel no strange i just would i just i was just kind of like, well, i would i and and here is my ignorance right i was like well i don't i wouldn't pray for something for myself right but then I, I also then in that thinking i'm also judging you see so i'm i'm committing sin within trying to be good and and it all comes from the fact that we live in on this earth mhm And we are constantly being deceived by the devil. Yeah. Constantly. And we don't know, like, we don't know which way to turn sometimes, you know? Like, it's, and as soon as you, the only way you can recognize that you're, that, I don't know how to say this. The best uh i don't know how, i don't know how to say this the devil is always around yeah and whenever you lower your defenses whether it be sexually whether it be uh uh greed whether it be uh anything else mm-hmm you are susceptible now at that point, like, you know, for, and I, uh, I don't know how to tie that in. I'm not, here's the thing. I'm a brand new Christian and I Mm -hmm. am not well versed enough to even speak about these things because I am so new. I'm so new and I know, and so many things are running through my mind. And I know that, uh, I can't accurately speak about these things because at the same time that I'm speaking about them, I'm also being deceived.
1: And here's the the thing that, that can hope, I hope gives freedom is that it's okay when you have a question to say I don't know the answer. Let's find out. Yeah. So, like if you're in a discussion, like let's say you're you're sharing your story, like hey, I I met God and and I I've been saved by Jesus Christ. You know, this is my story, and then they, and they come back with questions about the Bible. Don't feel like you have to have all the answers. Nobody has all the answers. Nobody is that well-versed that they can have an answer for every question. Um, it, It's okay to say, you know what? I don't know that one. That's a good question. Let's dive in. And so take that burden off you that you, you don't have to have all the right answers. Thank you. You just, you just have to. Be honest. Uh, There's a point where, you know, where any deception would be sinful. It's like if you give a false answer or you try to create an answer based on what you think. If you don't know, it's okay. Say, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's more credibility that's given by somebody that's a non-believer. Oh, okay. Well, he's honest. He's not trying to uh, feed me a bunch of malarkey. You know, he's not trying to mislead me. He's like, I don't know. So it's okay to say I don't know, Um, and it's okay to have questions. So uh, you and I, and there's no judgment there. It's just like my, you know, your personal conviction right now is that I want to pursue prayer in a time of reaching out for others and also in growth in my relationship. And there's nothing wrong with that unless you feel like a condemnation for like, I really want to ask God to, to help me find a new job, but I don't want to ask him because I feel like I'm unworthy. If there's something on your heart, he already knows it. So the idea of prayer is not to reveal something to him, but just to build that relationship, that communication. Like, God, you know, I really hate this job. The Things have changed. I could really use your help finding a new job or help me find a new satisfaction where I'm at if this is where you're leaving me. Um, There's no condemnation in asking, but if you feel like your prayer time should be devoted to other people's needs, to, uh, to just growth in your relationship with him, then that's perfectly fine too. It's not about you being further behind me than me or, or I feel no, more. I, yeah, yeah, I don't want I you to feel that condemnation.
0: Yeah. And I wasn't saying that. And I, yeah. and I hope that it didn't come across like that. And I, yeah. I, and I, and even though it probably came across like I was judging you, I was not, I'm not judging you because I'm in no, I feel
1: so judged. I am having have <laughs> no
0: authority to judge anybody. No, you know, like you can pray for whatever you feel like you want to yeah. pray for. You're a hundred percent correct. You know?
1: Absolutely. And it's, it's your personal relationship with the Lord. It, you know, my relationship with the Lord is not yours. Yours is not mine. And it's okay. all about defining it according to what God's purposes are for you. Um, so never feel condemned for any reason because there is no condemnation in Christ. It's even if you make the biggest mistake in the world, Peter denied Jesus three times in a row, even after Jesus said, Hey, you're going to deny me. Peter still went and did it, but Jesus restored him because as Peter denied him three times, Jesus restored him three times at the end of, of, uh, of uh, Acts uh, 1, he's like, Peter, do you love me? Yes. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Peter, do you love me? Yes. So Jesus gave him three times to redeem himself. So there's no condemnation for mistakes. There's no wrong way to pray as long as you're seeking a relationship with the Lord. Even if you're angry and you're like, Lord, I don't understand this. I'm mad at what you've done or what you've allowed. You're still building the relationship. You know, God's got broad shoulders. He can take our anger because we're, we're this to him where, I mean, as far as like size, his shoulders are broad enough that he could take it. It's, you know, he just wants the relationship with us. Just like a father you know, a good father here on earth can take his son or his daughter getting frustrated and throwing a tantrum. The, The father doesn't love their child any less because they threw a tantrum. And that's the way God is. When we throw a tantrum, we're upset like, God, it's not fair. I should have got that job. Or God, it's not fair. I should have dated that girl or, or whatever the case may be. It's okay. You're still building that relationship. You're still keeping that communication open with him. It's when you shut him off and you walk away from him and you start damaging the relationship. That's when it starts to hurt and upset God because he wants you to be in that close relationship. Yeah. I, that makes I, sense. I,
0: Yes, it it definitely does. And I appreciate your knowledge and I appreciate uh, your tutelage towards my quest to understand uh, God further. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Anytime.
0: Uh, Any final
1: words? Uh, No, uh, I think we covered it and... I hope that everybody that takes time to listen or watch or whatever, that there's something there that may challenge you to where you want to go in the Bible and and try to prove me wrong. Because I might be wrong, and that's okay. That's the iron sharpening iron. You know, if you sharpen me while you're getting sharper, then we're better off as people to be able to go out and serve God better. If something I've said here is proven wrong, I'll apologize. I'll repent. I'll be like, hey, I'm sorry you know, that I misrepresented, but then we're both better because the person that's correcting me is correcting your brother. And also they're growing stronger in their own knowledge and wisdom. So there's nothing wrong with, like, if they wanted to contact you to say, Hey, Dave said this. And I think that's wrong because look at Galatians six, blah, 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 you know, whatever the case may be, it's okay. There is no one that is above being corrected in love. If your pastor says something wrong on stage, like literally tries to say that you know psalm twenty three uh, is what you know, what a, you know I, I can't even think of a bad example, but uh you know if they say something that is truly wrong and against what the Bible says, then it's okay for them to be called out. There's nobody above reproach when they've mishandled the word of God because we're all at the base of it. we're all equal. We're all brothers and sisters. Our callings are different, our occupations are different, but we're all equal because God sits so far, so, so much higher than we are that we look the same from his vantage point. Whether you're 5'8 or 7'2", you kind of look the same to God. And that's the same thing with our position on earth is our, our position, our sin, it all looks the same from, from his vantage point, which is why all sin can be covered by one man's sacrifice in Jesus. Amen. And let's end it right
0: there. Thank you so much for being on. Absolutely. Dave Thank, you Ebert. Thank you, brother. Yeah. Love you. Yeah.
1: All right. Are we done? or? You... So how do you do, do this? Do you uh, edit the audio and then post it? Uh, yeah. We
0: edit okay. the audio and then post it. Uh, yeah. So we can edit this part out. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Is that what you want to do? You know what? I, you know, to be honest with you, I like, I like the raw. I like it, like it feeling like it was an actual conversation from beginning to end with no edits. But if you feel like you want something edited out, we'll edit it out. But to be honest with you, I think it's cool, like that people get to hear the raw, unedited parts. And then they're like, "Oh, well, all right." So you know, like, like yeah. what well, you just said. Oh, is it, are we still on? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're still on. You know, like I think the audience would be like, "Yeah, that's dope." You know, that's real cool that they're still letting us hear that. You know, yeah. like you know, but it's up to you if you want. If it, if you want, you know, I, I always say uh, every time we do these two three one go pods (laughs) because we don't know what we're doing (laughs) i i don't know what we're doing it's it's literally just like one-on-one like it's us this was us like whatever you wanted edited out you could tell me like i didn't like that part blah, blah blah get rid of that you know okay yeah we can get rid of that when when was it five minutes and 56 seconds to nine minutes 43 seconds We can take that out. Right. No problem. Uh, We could do that. But in all honesty, I like it. Just can we just land the whole thing nicely the whole way that it started in and ended? But, you know, some people, some people don't like that. It's up to you.
1: Yeah, I'm good with that. And I mean, you basically just cut it right when we said goodbye. And then I said, are we still on? Because I, <laughs> I I didn't know if you wanted me to just bail out or if, yes, you know, so I didn't want to be just rude. and was like, bye. So,
0: no,
1: yeah. No,
0: okay. no problem. Uh, yeah. Well. Okay. So if you had your perfect ending, how would you have wanted to end it? I was.
1: Just Forrest Gump. That's all I have to say about <laughs>
0: <laughs> See, that's there. why I never want to end it when it's supposed to end, because sometimes you get a little extra clips and it's even funnier than the, the ending that it would have been before. So, all right. You just like Forrest Gump would have said, you know, that's all i have to say about you got your shrimp gumbo you got your (laughs) you got your shrimp ending
1: (laughs) (laughs) all right my friend it's been a pleasure
0: man man you were an awesome guest and thank you so much and god bless god bless